Good evening, everyone. How are you? Good, good. <laughs> I know it's weird to ask for a response, but uh, hey, it's good to see so many new faces tonight. We're so happy you're here with us. My name is Daniel Simmons. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy every single time I get to open this book and, and serve you by preaching it. Um, some of you might be wondering, hey, it's not Christmas yet, is it? Uh, we we're not in Christmas season, but we are in the book of Luke, and we're, we're making our way through, and it's going to be, we're going to be hitting some of, these, uh, some of these Christmas stories as we get into the text, but it's not lining up perfectly, but we're really excited. Hey guys, I have to admit, I have to admit, sometimes when I come to the commands of the Lord, and sometimes when the commands, let me see, is this, is this guy still on or muted? I just want to make sure, it feels like, okay, good, good, Sorry. When I come to the commands of Scripture, sometimes it catches me off guard. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm, I'm all good with the commands of God until the moment that it actually lands on me. And I'm like, I actually have to do that? You know, my day is going to change. My week is going to change. My life is going to change completely if, if you ask me to do that, God. Don't you know what you're asking me to do? Um, this was true for me in my 20s, uh, my early 20s. God awakened me to the reality that I was really giving uh, an idolatrous place to my music career. Um, it, it had taken more focus than, than Jesus' lordship. And uh, there's a lot to that story, but what became clear to me at that point is that following Jesus meant basically giving up the wheel of my life to him 100% from that point on. And it was a very scary thing. It felt like God was calling me to kind of leap into the unknown. I had no idea what I would do next. I, all I knew is I was saying, God, you've shown me how great you are, and you're calling me to follow you, and you say it's worth it in your word. So here I go. I'm going to take a leap. Now, this is, this is common. This is actually all through Scripture. We see God calling people to do crazy things when, when he calls them out. He, he says, I need you to leave everything and come follow me. You know, it starts way back in Abraham. Leave your home, your, your family, your country, and go, and t I'm going to take you to a land. He didn't even have the, the, the exact place or the exact time, any of this, but he was called there. Have you experienced this? Have you experienced this? Um, it doesn't always make sense, does it? If sometimes it feels completely unnatural and even impossible, the things that God calls us to do. Um, move where, God? Do what? It, it seems so unnatural and it is costly. Uh, and, and the reality is, church, if it's not costly, we probably haven't surrendered anything to God. As you immerse yourself in this story, it becomes clear that humble submission and surrender to God characterized the Christian because it characterized our king. In causing Christ's life to be born in you, God actually expects you to die like he died. Let me say that again. In causing Christ's life 
to be born in you, he expects the death of self. In other words, he calls you to take up your cross even daily and follow him. We'll see this today in the life of the Virgin Mary. But before we look at Mary's amazing response and her surrender to him, we need to get a glimpse of the greatness of this king. So I just want to draw attention to the slide. This is kind of where we're going in three parts today. We're going to look at the greatest announcement ever made in verses 26 to 37. That's the biggest chunk of our sermon. And then we're going to see Mary's belief led to her surrender. That's in verse 38. And then finally, we'll, we'll take a look at what this means for us. The Christian's belief must lead to surrender. So I'll just invite you to pray with me one more time. We love to pray. <laughs> we love prayer at this church. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I am your servant. I invite you to use me, use my words. And as I unpack this amazing announcement that you gave to your servant Mary, would you allow us to be moved by your greatness and led to surrender, just like Mary surrendered, just like the heroes of the faith surrendered, just like you, our Lord Jesus Christ, surrendered so much to come to earth and to live life in human flesh and die a death that we deserved. We marvel at you, God. I pray that we would marvel even more now. Come, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak and to change hearts. God, apart from your spirit, we will not be moved. We will not be changed. This is not about me right now. This is not about my skill in rhetoric, but Lord, about your spirit's power to change hearts. So we invite you. We believe you're here. Come, we ask again in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So let's look at the first part, the greatest announcement ever made. Luke tells us that the same angel Gabriel who showed up to Zechariah six months earlier was sent to a city called Nazareth, a city of Galilee, to a virgin betrothed. Wow, this <laughs> kid, they're having fun tonight. Uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. I want you to notice the similarities of this story to last week's prophecy of John's birth because Luke seems to be doing something. He seems to have something in, in mind uh, in setting up the story like this, even in the details. In fact, chapter 1 to 5 and all the way to chapter 2 verse 52 is what Bible scholars call the, the infancy narrative. And I have a slide up there that will show you kind of the progression. John's birth is prophesied first. And then Jesus' birth is prophesied. Then right in the middle of the two births, right before they give birth, Mary and Martha meet, and then we see John's birth and Jesus' birth. And why this is significant is because Luke is, is aiming for, for you to compare these two children. He wants you to compare them. Philip Ryken, who has done a great, he's written a great deal on the Bible's literary features, he observes some of the similarities. Quote, Two cousins, two pregnancies, two hymns of praise, and two deliveries at the beginning of two great lives. There are so many similarities in these stories, and it's obvious. Let's, the quote should be up there. Um, I've got a bunch of quotes, so you'll just have to <laughs> fire with me. Um, but there's also a lot of differences, and I, I have another slide for those differences. Um, 
John, he would turn others to the Lord. But this Jesus is the Lord. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, it was prophesied, but Jesus would be born of the Holy Spirit. John would be great before the Lord, and Jesus would be great without qualification. How crazy is that when you see what Luke is laying out about these two men? Both are great, and yet Jesus is shown to be infinitely greater There's something about him that is shown to be infinitely greater. Though Jesus is a a king that is beyond uh, our imagination, this infinitely great man, his approach is staggering. It is so humble. The announcement of, of his birth came to a very unlikely place and a very unlikely person. So let's let's look at them. Luke mentions this specific place, Nazareth of Galilee. And this is uh, significant because Nazareth was known for its lowly size and poor reputation. I mean, do you remember this, the, uh, the story when, when Jesus meets Nathaniel, or actually when his brother Andrew is bringing him uh, to, to Jesus? He says, uh, Jesus is from Nazareth. And he's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Like, this place does not have a good reputation. It, it was the in-between uh, city between Tyre and Sidon, two uh, primarily Gentile cities, and so it would be full of Gentiles and Roman soldiers. This is not a very, uh, this is not the place that you would expect the king to show up. It's not the place you'd expect the king to show up. Also, Mary, unlikely and Significant, like really not a significant person, very unknown. Like she uh, was probably no more than 15 years old, and a lot of scholars argue for as young as 12 years old. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? That this announcement came to a 12-year-old girl. She was probably illiterate, like like most poor young women in that time, and with little knowledge of the scriptures other than what she had memorized and what she may have heard in the synagogue. Her life was not set up for greatness. She was going to probably marry young. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. She would bear other poor children, never, never travel very far from home, and eventually die like others before her. Pastor Kent Hughes writes these words, Mary was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> But the greatest news ever proclaimed in Israel came to the humblest of its people. Hughes continues, The Lord comes to needy people, those who realize that without him they cannot make it, those who acknowledge their weakness and spiritual lack. The incarnation, salvation, Christmas are not for the proud and self-sufficient. Church, I hope you marvel as you see what place and person this announcement came. This is incredible, and it says something about our God, doesn't it? This this God that we serve gave the greatest honor that that Mary would would bear the mother, that that she would bear God 
He gave it to a peasant girl. He gave it to a very, very, very lowly peasant girl. And we're going to see this as we continue to move forward in, in Luke's gospel, that he continues to come to unlikely figures. He shows up to the shepherds in the following chapter. Maybe your life feels insig- insignificant today. Maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like, who am I? Does God know anything about me? If, when you read these words and you see who God chose as the mother of the Son of God, you should hear that God knows you, that your life is significant, that he sees the smallest to the greatest. He did not choose some uh, person in the, in the high courts of Jerusalem. No, he chose a peasant girl. Our Lord's face would, would resemble Mary's face. Can you imagine that? The honor that Mary was given. This, this is the honor that was given to Mary. And this is, uh, this is the God who knows you. This, this beginning, this humble beginning sets the stage for the life that Jesus would lead, lead. He would come to the poor. He would come to the sick. He would come to the meek and the sinner. He would care for, for people that were lowly. And Luke's gospel has stories like that all over it. Let's continue in the text. Verse 28. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This word favor is really interesting. It, it has been misinterpreted in the past. But really, it comes from the word grace. It comes from the word charis. And what we need to know, why, why I'm bringing this up to you is that charis means, grace means unmerited favor. This, we've, we've just saw this, this, this whole story set up. This is a very lowly woman, and God is coming to her, and the angel is acknowledging, you're highly favored by God. This is, this is a lot of grace being shown to you right now. Mary was shown a lot of grace, and this is why we at All People's Church, we want to we do, uh, kind of be in the middle of where, where people often go. Sometimes people pray to Mary or worship Mary. I want to I talk more about this in the midweek podcast. We have a midweek podcast, if you didn't know. It's called What We Couldn't Say on Sunday. Um, we'd love for you to tune in. But some people pray or worship Mary, and we would say, no, I, that's, that's not exactly what Mary would have wanted, I think she would be appalled at that, actually. But yet, she's also, she's also not somebody that we should say, like, oh, forget about her. No, she's, she's like, she's received an incredible honor to be called God's mother, like Jesus' mother. So here at All People's Church, like, I think we should honor Mary and, like, really uh, speak as, as she is one that's blessed. She's one that's blessed. She's not sinless or a perpetual version, neither of which are anywhere taught in Scripture, but she's been shown incredible grace by God, so therefore we, we honor her as, as a very blessed woman. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you, Gabriel said. This, this 
greeting, the Lord is with you, is an Old Testament greeting, and it was affirming that God would help the recipient. This was important because Mary is utterly freaked out. She says she is greatly troubled. How many of you would have felt that way? I mean, imagine God sending an angel, this, this angel, and you're a teenager, and he's telling you some very freaky things. She was greatly troubled. She wasn't hysterical, but she sought to understand. It says she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is a pretty amazing teenage girl. Then came this incredible announcement to Mary. Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Oh, how I love the name of Jesus. He's the first person to, to hear the Messiah's name. Oh, how we love the name of Jesus here at All People's Church. This was a common name in that time, but it's, it's a really a sweet name. It, the, it's, it's a Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And this naming is no coincidence. One commentator writes, just as Joshua had led Israel into the promised land, so Jesus would lead his people into eternal life. People in that time believed that name, the name of their child had power. <laughs> And we also believe that names have power. The na- at the name of Jesus, demons would be cast out. At the name of Jesus, the sick would be healed. At the name of Jesus, the dead are raised. Even today, at the name of Jesus, people find salvation and are healed and are set free from all forms of evil. At the name of Jesus, we bow in worship. Here, we love the name of Jesus. And Mary was the first one to get to hear it. This Messiah is named Jesus. Gabriel told Mary that the child will be called, will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. Now this title, Son, is significant. Uh, it's, it's a messianic title. It would have been recognized by anyone who was familiar with the scriptures. Um, I'm going to mention a few of them. Think about Genesis 49 where Jacob uh, prophesies the greatness of Judah's offspring. There's son language there. Psalm 2, a famous messianic song where Psalm, we're, we're warned, everyone who fails to submit the, to this son, to kiss this son, is going to be in trouble. But blessed are you if you seek refuge in him. And in Isaiah, there's just messianic language everywhere. Let me just read a couple of those really quick. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And in 9, 4, 9 6 of Isaiah, it says, for uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, When Mary heard these, this word, he will be call, called Son of the Most High. With all the other language that is following, she would have had some of these things ringing in her ear. And if not, the, the angel made it all the more explicit. He says to her, verse 32, 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, what's, what's all this about David? Who is, who is David? Who is Jacob? So Mary, Mary is, is telling us about, I'm sorry, not Mary. Mary is, the Gabriel is telling Mary that all this prophetic language, the, the prophecy, the covenant that was made with, with David, it's going to be fulfilled in this son. Uh, back in 2 Samuel 7, uh, we, I'll have it up on the screen. God prophesied to David while he was still alive that when he dies, he's going to raise up an offspring for him through whom he would establish his throne forever. I'll read verse 13 there. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. And what's really interesting about this prophecy is Solomon would be the one who would initially fulfill this. He would be the the, the first son who was going to build the temple for, for King David. And then after that, the sons of Solomon, they would, they would reign on his throne, but, but they would all sin. They would all commit iniquity. And God promises that, that his steadfast love would never be taken away from his son. It would never be taken away. That, like it was taken from King Saul. Instead, David's house and kingdom would be made sure forever through this son. Gabriel tells Mary, as explicitly as it comes, this child you're about to have is the long-awaited son of David, the Messiah, who will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob, which stands for all of Israel. Mary would have put the pieces by, together by now. I think she would have understood these things. That this child was not just any child of God like we would call ourselves a child, but this, this, God, this child would have a unique identity. He would reign forever. He would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child had a unique identity. He had a divine sonship. Yahweh was truly coming to save his people. At Jesus' Jesus's conception, Luke shows us that this Jesus is unique. At his baptism, Luke shows us that Jesus is unique. At his transfiguration and at his resurrection, Luke is slowly unfolding the true identity of Jesus Christ, that he is the, none other than the second member of the Trinity, the God-man, the Son of God. Imagine your newsfeed blowing up. <laughs> with uh, these words. Aliens arrive on the earth. <laughs> okay, it, would go, it would go viral like in a minute, right? Uh, I mean, this, this news that Mary is getting, it is about as crazy as that. First of all, like the, the Jews were like waiting. They hadn't for 400 years, they hadn't heard from God. There, there was no prophet in the land. Secondly, like it was inconceivable to the Jewish mind that the creator could become a creature. Inconceivable. The Vikings winning the Super Bowl seems impossible. 
I know that, Vikings fans. But I promise you, if we got that announcement, that announcement would pale in comparison to this one. Mary couldn't help herself. The most obvious question arising in her mind was, how is this going to happen? I'm still a virgin. How is this going to happen? It's important to notice there's a difference between Zachariah's question and Mary's question. Zachariah asks, not believing the angel's words, but, but he wishes for a sign. He wants to know. How do I know this is true? Show me some sort of sign. Mary, on the other hand, he, she seems to believe that, that this is going to happen, but she's just saying, well, but, but in what way? I don't, I don't understand. She's a virgin. She understood how babies came about. <laughs> Mary being betrothed to Joseph would not have lived with him or, and would certainly not have had sexual relations with him. The betrothal period in this time was, was considered like a testing period for fidelity. So to, to have any sexual relationship was to actually go so far. It, was, it would be considered adultery in that, in that time. So she was, Mary was carefully preserving her, her sexual purity according to God's commands. And so this obviously raises questions for her. She's confused. I'm so glad she asked this question because what the angel's words unfold about Jesus are absolutely amazing. Let's look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. How will I have this child, the young virgin asked. Gabriel's reply, God will do it. God will do it. The Spirit of God will come upon you. He will overshadow you. The Most High will overshadow you. This overshadowing language can be seen throughout Scripture with the Spirit of God, but, but I think most clearly in the creation narrative when, when it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep right before the, the creative miracle, right before God speaks and things come into existence. He says that the Spirit of God will overshadow you, will come upon you, Jesus' birth would not be the result of man. Mary knew what the angel was saying was totally impossible. It would be a miracle, and this child would be born of the Spirit. It would be similar to the creative miracle of Adam, and yet so much more, so much bigger. The text unfolds this a little bit more. It says, therefore, as a result of this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, we are, we are told that the child would be called holy the Son of God. Some might wonder why God would do it this way. Why, why would God, if, if he wants to save man, want to come, like be born and like grow up like a, a baby? And what was God doing? Well, I'm glad you asked. This, this is in fact our greatest hope as human beings. Without Without Jesus being born in this way, we would not have any Savior. You see, the whole human race, are, we're in the line of Adam. Every one of us are born of Adam, our first father. And because of this, every single one of us are born with sin, with a sin nature. 
every single one of us. So there's literally no human being that, that is able to save us because we're all in it together. We're all down in the muck and we can't get out. We can't save ourselves, so God has to send someone from outside. But here's the miracle of it all. He also had to be a man. The Bible is clear that the blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse sin. So he had to be a man so that his flesh and blood could be ripped, so that his blood could be spilled for us who deserve God's wrath for our sin. We needed a savior from without. We needed him to be both man, but he couldn't be born of Adam or we'd have a problem. He would be sinful just like everyone else. So he's both God born of the spirit and man born of this woman. This man is holy. He was a son like Adam, but without sin. One man with two natures, fully God and fully man. This is the God man. Theologian Wayne Grudem writes, it's up on the screen. The incarnation is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to human nature forever so that the infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. There's nothing so amazing that God would become one of his own creatures for us. We've confessed this, Christians have confessed this for millennia, that God sent his son, born of a virgin, to save sinners. Denying this reality, denying this doctrine that, that Jesus was born of a virgin is to deny the faith. He's like no other man, and there is none greater. Kindly, the angel goes on and, and gives Mary a sign. Um, look at verse 36. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, I know that this seems impossible. I know that this seems impossible and beyond your comprehension. But you need to know that your elderly cousin, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can you imagine? She's, she's asking this question, like, how can this possibly be? All these words are coming into her and she's just amazed and then he gives this sign to comfort her heart. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. She'll have somebody to go and, and worship with. And we'll see that in a, in a couple uh, sermons from now. Mary meeting with, with Martha. Some of you need to hear these words today. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. As you consider the call that God has before you, as, as you consider the un unknown that he is calling you to step into, you need to know that God is with you, that God is for you, and that if God can do such a great thing as be born of a virgin, 
There is no sin too great for you to overcome. There is no land too far. There is no amount of money that is too much for you. No mission too big for you today. There is nothing that is impossible with God. I hope that is a comfort to you. Having heard all the angels' words, having heard the greatness and humility of the king to be born, Mary responds with some amazing and famous words. This is the second part. Mary's belief leads to surrender. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Church, I hope these words catch you by surprise like they did me this week. Like if you hear all these, these words, and then all of a sudden your, your response is, Behold, I'm your servant. Let it be. Like that's, that's crazy. Like really, really crazy. This teenage girl knows that she's not her own. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. Like she's so, there's humility here. God was truly with her for her to have this sort of humility. Her identity here informs her response. She says, I'm a servant. I'm lowly. So God, have your way in me. It will bring me shame, but I'm your servant. This life that God has given me, it's just not about me. She, she knows this. But it's about what he has for me. This marriage I'm excited about. I'm, I'm engaged to Joseph, but it might possibly end because you're calling me to do this. And yet, let it be to me as you will. My reputation, my body, I'm giving it up. My energy, the entire trajectory of my life, let it be to me as you will. My life is not my own, it's God's. I'm the servant of the Lord. Church, is this your response to God's call to you? Mary would suffer the pain of childbirth. She would struggle under her impoverished situation to raise her family. She would see her, her son ridiculed before all the religious leaders of Israel. The people of his own town would shame him and her as, is that, is that guy even legitimate? Who'd you sleep with, Mary? She would be in turmoil over Jesus' identity. She would show up to try to pull him away from the mess of it all, and she would stand in witness of his brutal lashing and crucifixion. Mary had no idea what she was getting into, and yet she said, let it be to me as you have said. I am your servant. She would eventually worship at the resurrected king's feet. She would hold the nail-pierced hands that were formed in her womb. She would hold the hands that she caressed as a little child. She would hold the face. She would embrace the face that nursed at her breast. In, that, in the body which would carry her sin and the weight of all the world's sin. Mary didn't know what she was getting into, but she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you will. Mary is the first one to believe this message about who Jesus is, and so some have called her the first Christian. And I just want to say to us today, church, she has a lot for us to learn from. This response is 
incredible, truly incredible. So I, I want to move to our third part. Our belief must lead to surrender. This gospel, this gospel of God is coming to you today. What are you doing with it? I don't know every single one of you in this room, but if there are anyone, any, any one of you in this room are not yet sure what you believe about Jesus, this gospel is coming to you today that you might have salvation so that you might respond to the greatness of the King. What are you doing with the gospel? Do you embrace it with humble faith like Mary or do you reject it in pride because you can't prove it? Mary's understanding of her lowliness before God aided her with this humility to bow in submission to him. So what about you? Do you think you're too great? That your intellect is too great to believe in a, in a virgin birth? Are you too great to to die to yourself and to be called into the unknown? The doctrine of the virgin birth in the Christian message church is not one that we are to reason over all day. This is not something to debate or prove ultimately. Though we can certainly learn and ask questions from the sciences, from history, but this is a miracle, church. This is a miracle that God has brought about that is to be embraced in, by faith. This gospel has come to us. God says, you're needy sinners. You need a savior, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to lift you out of the, the mire, out of your own sin. In this way, I'm going to take on human flesh, and I'm going to be pierced for your transgressions. And I'm going to rise that, you, that all who would believe in me might have eternal life. Church, this is not for us to, to reason with. Jesus' call to enter into his kingdom and to submit to his, his kingship is not one to be reasoned with, but to be surrendered to. We, are to. we are called to surrender to this gospel. This is why we, we proclaim this truth to you. This is why we preach this truth, truth to you. We don't reason, but we proclaim that Jesus has come. He's the savior. He's the, he's the savior of the world. And you have to turn to him. You must repent of your sins. So how are you responding to this good news? Is it in humility like Mary or is it in pride? Jesus is calling for your allegiance today, church. Every bit of you. Look at Mary's life. Mary was a teenager. She had all the world before her, all of her dreams. And, and God comes to her and says, Hey, Mary, I just, I just need one year of your life, or nine months. Just, just let me have, you know, have the baby, and then you're good, right? No, no, it's not that. <laughs> this is an entire life that Mary is saying, it's yours. It's yours, Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Behold, let it be to me as you said. Church, Jesus wants your life. Church, Jesus wants your money. He wants your time. He wants your talents. He wants every part of you. He wants every part of you. Are you ready and willing like Mary to drop anything to follow Jesus? 
I said it in the beginning, guys, it's shocking to me when I realize what this means for my life, but this is what Jesus is calling us to daily, church. Take up your cross today, church. What does it mean for you? When is the last time you had to surrender something to Jesus that hurt, that was costly? When is the last time that you stepped into the unknown, having no idea if it was just going to wreck you, if it was going to hurt your reputation, but you trusted the God of the virgin birth, but you trusted him, and you said, Lord, I don't know what this means for me, but I'm going to jump, I'm going to leap in, I'm going to trust you because you're good, because you're great. This is what God called Mary to, and this is what he's calling us to, church. He's calling us to it today. So where are we? Are we surrendering to him? Is your career, is your money, is your marriage, is all, are all your relationships, is your future, is it his? Is it the king's? The king has been declared, Jesus has been declared to be king. Are we servants saying, let it be to me as you will? We are servants, church. If you're trusting Jesus, that is who you are. We preached on that a couple weeks ago. So do you believe it? And is that informing your actions? In calling you to lay down your life and surrender to him, Christ is calling you to do something that he has already done. You need to know that. Christ left heaven for you. In calling you to a lowly place, in calling you to surrender your life and bow before him at the risk of your reputation and all the things that I've mentioned, he's already gone there before you. And in all of it, church, here's the promise for us. In all of it, when Jesus calls us to die, he's calling us to come live with him. Amen? Jesus' call for us to die to self is a call to life. If we have been crucified with him, we will also be raised with him. Amen? Jesus is calling you to glory. He knows that whatever it is that you would think is more important than Christ, it is not ultimate. He's saying, lay it down. Let me show you what is ultimate and what is lasting. Lay it down. Come and find life in me. If that's sexual pleasure, if that's marriage, I don't know what it is for you. God is calling you to eternal life and all the benefits that come with that. He's calling you to step into the unknown and follow him. Church, I would never want it differently. I left, I left a band that I thought would be my entire life. I thought that would be my career. And here I stand with you, and God has over and over and over again marveled, made, made me marvel at him, and I have worshiped at his feet because of the plan that he has for me. He, this was not in my manuscript, but I think some of you might need to hear this. Anyone who lays down houses or mothers or brothers or sisters, anything for my sake will not fail to receive hundredfold in this life and in the age to come with persecutions. I, I mixed that up. Hundredfold of those things. <laughs> he will give you back in this life and in the age to come far more than what you lay down. Church, do we believe in the greatness of the king? That's the key. Do we believe that he is everything and worthy of our submission? If we do, we will surrender. If we do, we will surrender. Our belief in God must lead us to surrender. And this is 
all of life for the Christian. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and we'll sing. God, thank you so much that you gave us your word. And God, that you got so low for us. Jesus, we marvel at you. And Lord, now we invite you by the power of your spirit. You've given us your spirit. You've not left us alone. You're seated in heaven looking down on us right now, indwelling us right now. And now we invite you, Holy Spirit, awaken our emotions to worship. Awaken our souls to worship. Let our lips praise you, our God, our humble King. Come, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, show up right now and bring deliverance and healing and whatever else needs to happen right now as we lay down our lives at your feet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.